3: Cheap trick there. All right, all right. You know, I always liked that uh, that that song as a kid. Yeah, got a lot of airplay, and I
1: liked the album cover because it was really just theatrical. Oh yeah, know. the the the. uh Cheap Trick, I shouldn't say the cheap trick. Cheap Trick, growing up was a fascinating band. They were they were unusual. Their drummer was exactly was it unusual too. And, and, and Rick y- Nielsen was the guitar player, yeah, I yeah. Believe. with
3: his like freakish. I mean, yeah,
1: funky hats and six neck guitars, right. that kind of shit. Yeah. yeah, with the
3: funky hat, he was like as a kid. I thought he was like the American Angus Young, you know. Interesting but talk. um, and it also reminded me of one of those Barry Boys. There yep. was like the brunette yep. and the blonde yep. one, the dopey one. Like the dopey <laughs> one. <laughs> yep. But yeah, uh, apparently Rick Nielsen, guitar aficionado, got a lot of credit yeah. in later years for being just that. Yeah, I think and,
1: we uh, we managed to correct a bit of an oversight too because I can't recall us using much cheap trick, and we
3: haven't. No. And as you know, classic rock aficionados. They were, they
1: were a seminal band.
3: Sure. You know, they had sure. a lot
1: of influence and a lot of different people. They were, I think they were part of what was called that new wave yes. thing in the 19, yep. late 1970s that kind of lumped a bunch of bands in a bunch of different mm-hmm. styles together because it was like, fuck, we don't know what to call them. We'll call them new wave. We'll right, do that. Right. you know. And Tom Petty <laughs> was in that category. Yep. Uh, you know, the new romantics, you yep. know, kind of. Yep. They were all kind of lumped into that same well, we don't know what the hell it is, so here you go. Right. New but wave.
3: Great energy and easy oh, yeah. listen. And uh, even though the, the lyrics don't apply directly to what we're going to talk about this episode, uh, look, we had to mention the police because yeah. that is what we're talking about. Well, it seems about. like
1: that's what everybody's talking oh, about right now. Good it's, and bad.
2: Yeah. It's true what they say. Cops and women don't mix. It's like eating a spoonful of Drano. Sure, it'll clean you out. It'll leave you hollow inside.
1: It's, it's yeah, it very much is. It encompasses the whole range but it's not just police, obviously. It's reforming the police yes. somehow. And I think that people have gotten off of this pretty stupid, short-sighted idea of defunding the police. We hope. I mean, in, in a literal hope. sense. <laughs> yeah. You know, that was the funny thing about that whole argument was it, it was from so many different directions. You know, most people didn't take it literally. Most mm-hmm. people didn't take it as, well, we're just going to end the police. Right. But there were some people that did. And I mean, there it was still like, are.
3: Are you kidding? But it turned out to be a political landmine and uh, luckily now it's, it's pretty much off the table. Yeah. However, in the recent spate of unfortunate uh, shootings and the guilty verdict of Officer Psychopath over <laughs> there in <laughs> Minneapolis, telling you. you, know, I think now it, it's ripe for some change. Yeah. Right? I mean,
1: people, people, I think, have graduated from this idiot idea of, of defunding the police. And, and I want to say that Reminding people that I'm the liberal portion of the show here. Well, of course you, you are, you know, and yeah. and so much of <laughs> of that fucking stupid idea came out of the left, you know. It was knee-jerk, it was stupid, it was extremely short-sighted. Right. Uh, and I think a lot of cooler heads have prevailed, and now we're talking about. Reforming. Now yes. we're talking about how can we make this work better. Because
3: you can make things better without making the police the enemy. Oh yeah, without too, without, without wiping upgrade. them out completely. Exactly. Yeah. It's time to upgrade the way we do things. And to that end, um, I have a couple ideas on perhaps how we can do that. Yeah. Now you know before I get into that, just some very basic facts. Um, you know, truth be told, uh, based on the latest figures, whites are shot by police at a much higher rate than African Americans. We're
1: we're talking like pure volume, right? Yes, pure volume, uh,
3: uh, you know, definitely twice as many.
1: Well, more white people, more white people are gonna get shot. And that's the thing. You
3: need to look at these numbers proportionately, okay? Now, if uh, 13%, uh, the latest average of, of our population here in the United States is African American, and you look at them getting shot half as much as white citizens, that 13% now becomes a lot closer to the 50% parity. Exactly. <laughs> you know, you, you, that's the best way yeah. to put it. You're heading towards parity. I, w-
1: I would be very interested to see if some of the focus shifted over to, you know, these are the white people getting shot, and these are the circumstances under which white people are getting shot. Oh, yeah, shot. it needs to be and, drilled and, down. And see if, see if they match up to, you know, what, are, you know, what I think we've seen is the, the bizarre circumstances of black people getting shot. Right. I mean,
3: because, yeah, only a fool would tell you that the real issue when it comes to the shootings isn't black on black violence in the inner cities because it's out of control.
1: Well, I stumbled onto a a stat that you and I were discussing uh, pre-show that, you know, you kind of took a lot more stride than I did. But uh, police in America kill an average of three people per day. Now, Yeah, yeah granted, that didn't
3: surprise me. I yeah. kind of didn't blink to that. Well, you,
1: you put it in context, which was, which was a smart thing to do, you know, as far as, like, inner cities and the sheer number of Americans and whatnot. Sure. But, uh, but just that fact alone kind of smacked me in the face. I mean, right. I didn't really think it was a situation quite to that extent. Right. You know, and, and, and again, you, you calculate three people 365 days a year. Police are killing a lot of people.
3: Right, but then again, if you look, um, you know, at other figures, which I actually had handy, but I'm not going to waste time diving into. How many people die every day in this country in automobile accidents? Oh, sure, okay.
1: and, and true. The vast majority of the police in this country, if you take in everybody who wears a badge, mm-hmm. you know, the vast majority of them never use their service revolvers. True. Yeah. You know, so. So. You know.
3: And, yeah, I mean, we'll draw the differentiation between reality and, and Hollywood <laughs> later on. But, um, you know, in, in short, to keep things moving along, here are some of the, the thoughts I had about uh, revisions to standard police procedure. Okay. And I know a lot of people are like, is this where he says the funny stuff? <laughs> no, no, folks. This is actually a somewhat serious... yeah
1: actually it is
3: because hey at this point it could be you or me shot in the street tomorrow you know this is also true i'm not i'm not initially apt to mouth off to people in uniform but you know we all have bad days try and avoid
1: (laughs) picking fights with people who are armed i don't care what they're wearing right
3: all right so as i said for a long time and i probably mentioned this on, on other episodes of riffs and rants i think uh the policing as as a job needs to be treated more like the military in so much as you need to send these officers out not as a 20-year career in the street seeing mm-hmm. the worst of society every single damn day. Yeah. You need to break it up into something resembling tours of duty just like the military personnel have. Interesting thought. Because you want to have experienced personnel out there on the ground doing their job but you cannot realistically expect a human being to go out there just like in wartime and see the absolute worst that man can do to another man on a daily basis and yes yeah. man to man woman to man woman to woman whatever they see the shit of
1: society oh, yeah. every
3: single day oh
1: yeah no the the rotation idea makes a lot of sense i lived in los angeles for a long time and to subject you know these guys to having to patrol like South Central L.A. Mm-hmm. every day for, right. you know, God only knows how many years at a time, that's going to warp your perspective on Absolutely. humanity.
3: Absolutely. And, and warp is a good word because you're looking at a skewed section of society based on who lives there, all right? Yeah. So if you're in South Central L.A., yeah, you're going to look at people of Hispanic uh, descent and African Americans on a
1: certain slant. It's going to give you a distorted view. Right. If, yeah. you're,
3: if you're a cop on the mean streets of low income Idaho, okay, you're going to be looking at kids with cornrows <laughs> trying to act like rap stars as the enemy. Yeah. If you're in Chicago, it's going to be predominantly African American. You know, like, does everybody have a gun here? So on and so forth. But if you were to break this up by tours of duty and say each one could be two years, okay, yeah. you're out on the street, you're doing a patrol. Then when your two years is up, you come back for a psych evaluation. You kind of get debriefed on your experiences thus far. Yeah. And then you're able to sign up for another tour. Now, you'll have a maximum, I don't care who you are, of five tours of duty. So that's right. 10 years out on the street. Again, so you're able to cycle in and out, experienced law enforcement personnel. Yeah. But after that fifth tour, that's it. Now, you can either take a desk job at the headquarters or teach at the academy. Right. That's it. Those are your options. Or get out and, and collect your pension. Right. Okay? Now, another way to look at it was you know, they're, they're calling for more uh, a, a psychological approach, and they, and they want right. um, not human resources people, but social workers you sure, know, to, to sure. handle some of these Yeah, instances. people that are,
1: that are more attuned to the psychological side of things. Right, but yeah. most
3: cops will tell you the scariest part of their day is something as mundane as a traffic stop, let alone, their, in their opinion, based on polls, the most dangerous situation is a domestic A domestic, oh, call, absolutely. Because you never know what you're walking into. Oh, yeah.
1: Well, you're talking about a situation that's emotionally charged. Yes, and, and you're walking into a
3: heated situation.
1: Yeah, there's okay. no logic involved, and that's what makes it truly dangerous. Sure. Right,
3: and what happens when you put something hot into a cold vat of water, yep. it sizzles and it pops, and nothing good happens, all yeah. right? Yeah. So in this case, I'm kind of on board with... You know, first of all, always having cops in teams of two. no more of this this one officer response to a thing, and look if it ain't in your budget, townships of America, get it in there. find a way, right, okay, right. take the supercharged v eight out of the patrol cars which you're not supposed to be using anyway,, yeah. and add some people on the force.
1: Better use of funds yes, yeah,
3: but make those tandems comprised of a a let's say for lack of a better word, standard police officer with all of his police training as well as someone who has that same training, but a specialization in either psychology or sociology, right. who can identify and advise on these situations as the tandem approaches them. So you're not always going 100% cold into a situation. Right. You know, because I've seen myself in front of my face in my other life. Another job that I do where people in domestic disputes will explode and do heinous things right in front of armed police officers. Oh,
0: yeah. Welcome to the party, pal!
3: Who were very big and scary looking. So, none of that means anything. So, yes, to have somebody there that can interpret these events and, and perhaps advise on a better strategy. Would be well worth the money. Right,
1: right. Yeah, it is amazing what some people will do in an emotionally charged situation in front of guys who have guns and batons. Right, you right. Know? And it's, yeah, there's no accounting for it. It's pretty sure. crazy. And it's now, pretty crazy. in
3: light of this latest instance where the officer mistakenly pulled the, her revolver instead of her taser, oh, okay? Right, right. I mean, I'm sorry, but that's an incompetent asshole. Lock, stock, and barrel. Yeah. If you If you can't get that shit straight you got you got bigger issues yeah but i do think that police should be armed with different types of ammunition agreed okay and have those again specifically located on their belt in a different spot yeah. for different situations because not every necessitates you be armed with lethal force true but yet you need to control people let's face it you know tasers work on some but they don't work on others okay yep. Yep. but i tell you what rubber bullet on the backside That'll get your attention regardless of who you are.
1: <laughs> you know, of all the all the 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 encounters, for lack of a better word, that nice I've had way with to the put it. <laughs> in, in my life, I've never I've never been tased and I've never caught a rubber bullet. Yeah. And uh, and I imagine that's an unpleasant experience to say the least.
3: Yeah. Well speaking for a friend, uh, tasing sometimes it works, yeah. <laughs> sometimes it doesn't. It will it very, very definitely get your attention, yeah. but it will not necessarily incapacitate not, you. Not necessarily okay? stop
1: you. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah.
3: <laughs> so, yeah, so some non-lethal weaponry. Um, and, look, I don't see why dash cams and body cams can't be mandatory. Yeah. You know?
1: No, they should be mandatory. At this day and, and age. And as much as the, the police unions would disagree with you, it's right. the, for the protection of both sides sure, of the issue. Sure it really, really is. is. Because I'm sure the police have been accused quite frequently of things they didn't actually do. Right. You know, I mean, I'm, again, from personal experience, familiar with the fact that occasionally in a court of law, police will lie. But, you know, I'm quite sure that goes both ways.
3: And, and it does. And it's, it's, it's a dance we all play. And, you know, in spite of this podcast and in spite of the, the best and brightest minds that will probably attempt to broach this topic, it's, it's a dance back and forth. It's yeah. It's political. It's not about the people on the ground. And Oh, there's
1: there's a whole lot of bullshit politics involved right. in this. A and, and whole lot. You
3: and I differ on our our views of the police based on our subjective experiences. Sure. Okay. And you know, in my case, I think about, you know, the friends and the people that I care about that wear the uniform. Yeah. I myself now, this incarnation, am a law and order guy. Was I always <laughs> in my misspent youth? No, I'm not gonna put on airs. Yep. However, I always respected the position and the role in society. Sure. And well, I say to people now, when they're like, you know, look at me, well, how can you support, look at all the stuff on the news and the shootings, and I say, you know, my personal point of view, those of us that still support the police, we're not burying our head in the sand, we're drawing a line in it.
1: Message! Oh, yeah. Well, that, that quite frequently comes about in your life when you get a little older and suddenly you acquire things that need to be protected. Yes. You know? As and well as loved ones. Your perspective, yeah, exactly. That would fall under the same header.
3: Um, Did you just call people things? (laughs) You shallow bastard.
1: I've seen some of the girls you've been with, John. (laughs) That's different. But, uh, you know, it it is kind of funny, because, yeah, we are at a bit of opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, I will say, you know, given my encounters with the police in my life, both, you know, as a young man, as an older, wiser man, uh, I'm not a big fan of them. But at the same time, I have a degree of sympathy for them. Right. And you know, quite frequently the impossible situations that they're put in. Um, And, you know, we're we're talking about police reforms and whatnot. Um, Right now, most of the reforms that seem, seems to me, revolve around limiting the use of force and accountability. Um, You know, you look at some of the legislation that's coming out of Washington right now. um, You know, they're talking about chokehold bans. They're talking about mandatory body cams, uh, prohibition on racial profilings. Like, how the hell do you, prohibit that right good luck with that Um, and and you know a big one the end of qualified immunity you know which is again you know a responsibility thing Uh, over the last year 30 states have enacted over 140 new laws aimed at reforming police departments and increasing oversight and you know again you know i'm not a big fan of them but i'm sympathetic these guys have are in already a very confusing position when it comes to laws and what they can do and what they can't sure. do. And you know, now we've got 140 some odd new laws that these guys are going to have to try and figure out and mm-hmm. apply. Yep. Um, you know It's a very convoluted and very confusing situation. And personally, my thinking is it's missing the point. You yeah. know, I think what they really need to approach and what really needs to be focused on is the mentality. Um, and this is not a new thing. Um, in regards to how you look at policing, um, this dates back at least to 2015, as far as the last serious discussion we had on this. But it's really the difference between a warrior mentality and a guardian mentality. Message.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and since I guess since the 1960s, the warrior mentality has been the menta- mentality that has uh, persisted, that has that has really sunk in right. and I think that's a big reason why you have police killing an average of three mm-hmm. Americans a day over the course of a year which is a, it's a pretty serious number you know but you can kind of understand it if you keep in mind the fact that the police are people just like you just like me they come home at night they watch the news and they get scared right you know fear is a big motivator behind the warrior concept, mm. you know? It's a big uh, motivator behind the militarizing of the police. Send in the car. Um, versus, you know, the guardian concept, which more emphasizes social service, valuing community partnerships, um, establishing a positive presence within the community. Mm-hmm. You know, that's something that, you know, is, is pro- it probably dates back pre-1960s, you know, where the cops were, you know, the guys on the beat, Right. you know, and it wasn't us versus them, you know, but, and, and this is my favorite target, the news media, you know, completely out of hand as far as like pounding into people day in and day out, yep. day after day, how the fuck, f- you know, afraid we're supposed to be sure. of everything. And if you put these guys in the concept... Concept? Content? Context. Context. Thank yeah. you. Of, <laughs> apparently he's had one less drink than me, folks. Um, <laughs> you put, put them in the context of regular folks, you can understand why what's going on is going on. You know, with the warrior approach, basically what that, that's all about is police gaining control of a situation quickly right. in order to protect themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, any deviance from... That control is going to prompt a lethal response from the police, right? Because they're scared for their fucking lives.
3: Sure, sure. You know,
1: and as we had talked about, you know, beforehand,
3: sometimes it boils down to simple um, societal impressions, like the color of the uniforms. Okay? Yeah. Now, uh, uh, drawing on your comparison there, a guardian wears blue. Wears navy blue. It's a safe color.
1: It's, it's non- gravitates non-threatening. That, right? Exactly.
3: A warrior wears black. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And let's say a servant, for lack of a better word right now, wears tan, okay? Yeah, yeah. Now, if you think about it, for different branches of law enforcement in this country, those three colors come into play, okay? A lot of city cops have always been navy blue, right. with the big coats and the buttons and everything, yeah. a guardian-type figure, yeah. whereas the, the special weapons and tactics teams from most major metropolitan areas wear black, okay, and, and yeah. carry military gear, and most of your Midwestern sheriffs and more of like a um, like a village police, like a constable type role, they wear tan. Right. Because they're closer to the community. They're servants of the community. And all those outfits send different messages.
1: Yeah, okay? no, doubt, no Now doubt.
3: granted, I also agree that not every township needs an armored car. Send in the car. <laughs> that's where I had to insert that diehard quote. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> um and, and, and you know, SWAT teams don't need to be scary because look, I got news for you. A black combat armored outfit stands out like a sore thumb on a city street. Doesn't it though? Right. Yeah. So yeah, you're you're not fooling anybody with that. Yeah. And you know, perhaps the uh, the days of the Andy Griffith outfit, you know, from Mayberry as, oh, as yeah. a cop. Maybe that's a little outdated too. But you I, don't I would need never to be consider scary.
1: Barney Fife a threatening figure. Right, right. Know?
3: But by the same token, you never seen somebody in a Gestapo outfit handing a, a chocolate bar to a homeless youth in the middle of World War II. Not going to happen. Those, yeah. those never uniforms never are meant to inspire
1: terror. Yeah, and it's fear, Just like absolutely. every
3: single NFL team now has a black variant. Yeah. Why? Because it brings out the warrior in them and yeah. makes them sinister and scary.
1: So you have a situation now where you have the police uh, entering into a scenario and... Everybody's scared, right? Everybody's right. scared. You know the police are giving off an impression that is scaring the citizenry. Yep. The citizenry is also already afraid. You know of the police. The police are afraid of them. They're afraid of the police. What the fuck do you think right. is going to happen at the at the end of this I, scenario? <laughs> somebody's getting shot,
3: right? Now, you know it's it's a bad example, but why do you think that UN troops? Always wore those baby blue helmets yep. with UN on the side. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because they're not going to come in with a skull and crossbones on their helmet mm-hmm. saying, we are regulates regulate shit.
1: <laughs> no. They're coming in to help They're coming their in aids. to defuse the situation as, as guardians. As, would, yes. As right. opposed to throwing gas on the fucking fire. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, personally, you know, big picture perspective, I think that's really, really where we need to focus our energies on is the warrior versus guardian scenario. I totally agree. You can can do all of this shit with the body cams and the the no more chokeholds and all this other stuff. If you can't get the police past the warrior mentality, none of this other shit's going to work. If you can't get them past the point where they're afraid of the people they're supposed to be protecting, Mm -hmm. nothing's going to change.
3: And the first way to start doing that is to cut this bullshit narrative of the police are the enemy you're going to have to walk hand in hand with the police either way to make things better. Well, let's so that's, that's stop be With the, the, you know, yeah. all these guys are assholes. Because, you know, as, as a final snippet before we dig ourselves out of this trench, <laughs> we again spoke before the show, folks, and, and jokingly, because I got friends that are firemen too. But look, Firemen are no fucking angels, oh. <laughs> but they why, go up why against. Are we,
1: why are we throwing rocks right. at the firemen? Right. You
3: know? No, I'm just saying, just to keep the even playing field.
1: <laughs> oh, hey, fuck them. They get they get laid way more well, than any do. public servant should get laid. And they, they get against, calendars and right. shit. You
3: know? But they go up against fire. It's like everybody hates fire. That's something yeah. you can agree upon, yeah. you know. But look, have you ever seen an overzealous fireman take out your front door with an axe? You know, because you've got like a sparking wire inside the house. You'll, you'll appreciate what I'm saying. It's like, did you have to break down the door? And they're like, no, but that was awesome,
1: wasn't it? That was cool. <laughs> that was really cool. So yeah. on that note, sir. Well, no, let, me, let, me, let me wrap this up. Let me, let me put it in perspective. Okay. Um, we have to get to a point where the police aren't afraid of the citizens and the citizens aren't afraid of the police. Yeah.
2: Wouldn't that you be know, nice?
1: Until we get to that point, all this other stuff we're talking about, doesn't mean shit, folks. Yeah. Doesn't mean anything.
3: What we're dealing with here is a complete lack of respect for the law. You know.
1: So on that happy note. <laughs> on that happy note, let's dig ourselves out of the mid-sigling yeah, I'm, sta- I'm, I'm starting starting to have second thoughts on this middle gem now that we've we've discussed <laughs> all these things.
3: Well, let's just say it's, it's tongue-in-cheek, I guess, kind of, sort of. God, I hope so. I mean, it's got the word sheriff in it. it
1: it's the mellower version, <laughs> too, I must say. Of the two versions that yes. we contemplated, which, it is. Thankfully, it we is. stumbled onto that. Thank yeah. you for pointing it yeah. out. Oh,
3: God. <laughs> so let's do our middle gem, which is a uh, a classic by Mr. Eric Clapton. A classic cover, no less. Yes. 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 I shot the sheriff. Let's play it for you, folks. And we'll be back in a few minutes with some things and stuff, stuff,
0: stuff. I shot the sheriff, but I did not shoot. they say they want to bring me in guilty for the killing of a dead duty for the life of a dead
1: Swerve on with that one. You get a little groove on.
3: It's it's baby making music. Aye, aye. If not about a bad. See, really now there's a, the there's a, there's a difference between <laughs> you and I,
1: because I was thinking it was go outside and smoke a J music, you know? Well, because that's how you're wired man. That is how I'm wired, isn't it? It's I'm all about, about grab that,
3: that ass and you're all about smoke <laughs> that grass. We would be an amazing bumper sticker if we ran for office. Grab an ass and smoking grass, uh, you know, 2024. There you go. So let it be written. So let it be done.
1: There you go, and we'd win too, guys. That, we'd good. win. You know what?
3: That's going to be our next T-shirt. I'm for thinking the so. station, for the I like station. it. Yeah. I like it.
1: So tell so, us a little so, bit so about that. So of course that was uh, that was I shot the sheriff. Uh, Eric Clapton's venerable and I think respectable uh, cover. You know, kind of a nod mm-hmm. uh, to Bob Marley. the uh, The Bob Marley version came out, of course, on the 1973 uh, Whalers album, Burning um Clapton jumped immediately on that. Mm-hmm. I mean, he absolutely loved that tune from the first time he heard it and put it out on his 74 album 461 Ocean Boulevard. Right. And you know, it it should be should be noted, you know, in these days of of accusations of cultural of whatever appropriation, the fuck, yeah, you know, yeah. That that was that was out, done out of respect. Oh, sure. You know, and and it's it's easy for these idiots these days to make those accusations and they don't realize you know, back in the day. When you know, music
3: was about the music. Yeah. And that, not their egos. That
1: guys would do that out of respect and, and admiration right, of their right. fellow artists. You know, Clapton absolutely loved mm-hmm. the, the Whalers version of that. Absolutely wanted to cover it. Um, you know, it was kind of a tribute. Right. you know, this was this was him recognizing another artist that he really, really respected. And back then it was, I mean, you can't
3: say it's across the board now, I get it. But back then it just seemed like, more of the artists that were active and at large had an appreciation of different musical styles than they do today. Now, there are exceptions to the rule, don't get me wrong, Mm -hmm. but, you know, again, drawing on the the Billie Eilish statement of of not knowing who Van Halen was, Mm. you wouldn't see shit like that in the 70s or even the 60s or even the 50s, Yeah, you know? yeah, Because everybody was aware of what was going on, and it was just... Like you said, old stuff, it, it, it was out of respect when they would oh, cover yeah. somebody else's and song. And there was
1: a different mentality <clears throat> involved with music back then. That was at a time period where at least the participants and a, a good number of their audience considered it art. Right. You know, and, and that, was, that was a nod to your influences. Sure. But think
3: about it. I mean, and, and not to get too, you know, folksy and archaic with it, but it was, it was special playing records back yeah. then. Yes, it was. You, know? yes, it you was. would have to go buy it. It's a 45. It comes in a little sleeve. And yeah, the, the more affluent among us would have a giant stack of 45s. Mm-hmm. But most people would have you know, five, six albums at the time in their collection. Oh, yeah. And a handful of 45s. Yeah. And you'd play them over and over and over and again. And you would,
1: you would find out the release date. Yes. Of your favorite artist's next album, right? And you would be at the record store on that day exactly. to get your yep. copy, you know, hot off the presses, so to speak. Yep. And
3: that, that carried well into, you know, past the eight track phase into the cassette phase. Absolutely. But then, really, once they started putting stuff on, on CDs, let's say, even as a precursor to the digital music. Stuff became, you know, because once you had the, the CDs, it was so easy to do compilations and things. Oh yeah, it was so much easier to get the music and and vast quantities because you could put so much on a CD that you couldn't before. Oh, yeah. And it was just it just became so just mass consumed. Mm-hmm. And it's like if your grandmother bakes you a cake, it's always going to be better than what you buy at a local bakery that they mass yeah, produced from You know, fucking Pepperidge Farms, right? Yeah. And you, and, you, and you lose, um, you know. Sight of those little nuances and spices and whatnot that mm-hmm. she might have used that you know Walmart's putting out there oh, the yeah. 500 pies they yeah, baked yeah. that day. Yeah,
1: I'm I'm old enough to remember. You know, and this is a nod to my age of <laughs> rarely mentioned. You know, like I said, going out and getting that getting an yeah. album that that fresh release and taking it home and listening to it and trying to diagnose it. Uh-huh. You know, listening to every song, listening to all the lyrics of every song, and what did yeah. that mean? And what and did that a, mean?
3: From a tongue and cheek standpoint, because like really, not so much the seventies, but definitely in the eighties, so many albums went through that—that that tried and true formula of like two hits, yeah. and eight pieces of fluff. Oh yeah, <laughs> and that's, it was that's normally the the first track on the first mm-hmm. side, and maybe the second to last or last track on the second side. Those were your hits. Oh yeah, and the rest of it. Sometimes you listen, you are like, yeah. No. Well, that was that was
1: that was the. Uh, music industry creating Napster is what it was mm. you know that was them fucking over their their customer yep. base, and then Napster was their customer base responding sure sure you know, why when, do I need eight
3: pieces of fluff I've yeah why do I,
1: yeah why do I need to give you fifteen dollars for two songs when I can just download them and fuck you right, right. you know and I, I could fully understand the reaction and uh, and then you know now we have the situation we have today.
3: Sure. But that's a story for another day. Ah, yes. And speaking of stories and masterful (laughs) transitions, (laughs) yes. Here we we come upon our subtopic for today, which is something fun that uh Michael and I always get to talk about off-air. Um different types of songs that that we love. You know, what makes a good song better than another song? And something we both enjoy, like many, many people, are songs that tell a story. Is this
2: a kissing book?
3: Yep. And by that, I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean there'd be a, a, a factual story, something that happened, but with the same elements as a good story, a beginning, a middle, and an end, something that takes you on a
1: journey. Yeah, takes you, takes you to a place and then takes you on a journey. That's it right. the And then right drops that. you off
3: the front door, kisses you goodnight, and says, hey, let's do this again.
1: Yep, yep. <laughs> I know. That, that, that doesn't seem to... Happen as much now as it used to.
3: And I tell you what, doesn't happen as much now as it used to. You and I doing a top three. We haven't done a top three in forever. We kind of haven't. No. Wow. That's a trip. Yeah. We, we got too artistic for our own good. Is that what happened? Yes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> we ran our own press clippings. Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> as we near the 1000th download. Of the Riffs and Rants podcast. Wow. Wow. Yeah, we're knocking on that door, man. That's
1: going to go straight to my head. It should. (laughs) It should. (laughs) And, and that's going to prompt much, much vodka consumption. I mean, I clearly, say. we're
3: already more popular than Alec Baldwin's podcast, which I think is already <laughs> folded that piece of shit. What
1: is up with that? You, <laughs> you just have a hair for Alec Baldwin, man. And Does I tell he owe you, like, you money or he something? He might. And if, if Mike Taibbi or
3: Green Day had a podcast, I'd rip into them, too, because, as you know, I don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> he almost spit his drink, folks. Good. Good. Nice callback.
1: Yeah. There we go. All right. So, but yeah, there have been some some poignant songs yes. over the years. That, and not always not always depressing. No, Sometimes not It's, it's always, uplifting. But and yeah, but quite frequently depressing. Sure. But it, there's something about, you know, these guys telling a story, and you being able to identify with it, and and yes. kind of inject yourself into the yes, story. Yes, exactly. You know that that really resonates with these particular songs. Yep. yep. You know. So
3: uh, out of our Three, in really no particular order. Yes. Uh, what's one
1: for you, sir, that comes to mind? Um, <laughs> well, not going the bummer route right out of the gate, but uh, <laughs> when we first started talking about this concept, um, one of the stories that jumped, jumped right out at me, or one of the songs that jumped right out at me, was a really, really bold uh, move on the part of Rod Stewart, of mm-hmm. all people, and a song called The Killing of Georgie. Gotcha, yeah. Yeah. I think he released that. That was actually late nineteen seventies, nineteen seventy six. I think it was the same album that had "Do You Think I'm Sexy" on it. Might have been seventy eight. Don't quote me on that. Yeah,
2: yeah okay.
1: But uh, but yeah, it was a story based on uh, a true character that uh, apparently was a friend of the band the Faces that Rod was in. Mm-hmm. You know, prior to him going solo, um, about a gay bashing, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, at the time. You know, it it was a bold move on his part because at the time such things were fairly unheard of. People didn't talk about the gay community. They didn't talk about some of the the trials they went through. But according to Rod, this guy, you know, who was Georgie in the story, was actually a friend of the band. And, uh, you know, he felt compelled... Uh, to write this story and to put it out there and see what happened. And I think probably much to his surprise and, and, and to the surprise of a lot of people, the song got a lot of airplay mm-hmm. and it got a lot of focus. And uh, again, this was an era where those things did not happen. Right. And, uh, and people did not talk about those things. So.
3: And that's one of the fun things about music, and, and by fun I mean flat out amazing, is that sometimes the, the, the melody and the music you know, the the lyrics actually become a passenger on that train. Yeah. And the song becomes popular just for its sound and the way it, it, you know, makes people feel on an, uh, I don't know, animalistic level. Absolutely. And then when you go back and listen to it, you're like, oh, my, I didn't realize this is what that was about.
1: Yeah, if you listen to the song, it's it's very much uh, out of time as far as what was being listened to uh, in that era. And, Mm -hmm. uh, And it was a ballsy move. On Rod's part to to record the song and to put it out there, yep. you know, and you don't, you know, in the context of ballsy moves, necessarily think of Rod Stewart, right? But uh, but I, I
3: love the man's whole catalog, and <laughs> my know, mother, I believe, him. is probably arguably the biggest <laughs> Rod Stewart fan. <laughs> In the world. Uh, uh, uh. And I, I took her to see him uh, many years ago. Nice. And he was about, I think, a month off of throat cancer surgery. Had oh, no kidding. Had some removed. Yeah, yeah. And that son of a bitch. I mean, they don't build him like that anymore. He went out and sang every song. Oh, yeah. And he had backup singers, but he did all the heavy lifting. Oh, the man's a pro. Started back, like, from his original stuff in the 60s with the faces and yep. worked right up through the years. And I was like, wow. Yeah. Like, just had a newfound respect, and he became one of my favorite classic artists. Oh yeah, rock he'll, artists.
1: he'll he'll take you on a journey. Oh he yeah, will. Totally, will. totally, So yeah, that particular song stands out to me as far as like storytelling.
3: Nice goes. So nice. Over oh, to you, John. What do you got? Well, uh, I'm, I'm going to start with the low hanging fruit, okay, so to speak. Uh, Mr. Gordon Lightfoot.
1: Ah, uh, yes. In particular,
3: the wreck yes. of the Edmund Fitzgerald.
1: Man, that song to this day gives me chills. It's haunting, hear, right? Yeah,
3: yeah, and, yeah. Um, and he had done a lot of research, and actually he poured through all the newspaper you know, clippings and everything of the incident at the time. And I did not know until recently, he put this song about this less than six months after the tragedy of, of the sinking of the Edmund Fitzgerald. No kidding. And, wow. Yeah, and just... Um, some would say that he defines the Canadian rock and roll sound. Okay. Like they would say to us, it might be like a Billy Joel or a Tom Petty.
1: Of the, of the 1970s? I'd oh, agree yeah, definitely. I agree with you on that, yeah.
3: Um, but, yeah, I mean, that that's a song that I don't care who you are. It eerie. You listen to it's, it. It's eerie. And you follow along, and it oh, yeah. sets, the, sets the stage. There's the foreboding. You can almost see the clouds coming in. Yeah. Off the big lake they call Gitchy Gooby, right? yeah. Well,
1: it's kind of funny. It's, it's it very similar to the movie Titanic, where yes. you know how it's going to end. Exactly. And you've got to listen anyway. <laughs> you've got to go there with them, and you've got to experience yep. it, and you've got
3: to listen anyway. And, fellas, it's been sure nice to know you, yep. as the captain yep. says. Oh, yeah. So that's one of mine. What do you got,
1: brother? Good call, man. Good call. Uh, I'm going I'm to uh, take a little leap here of, of privilege, I guess, and, and, and say my number two choice is a tie, Okay. Um, okay. Between two songs, actually, and shockingly enough, this is from a more modern uh, rock band. Though it's kind of disturbing to me that these guys are now considered classic rock. When you know, I remember, welcome to the party, pal. I, I know. I know. <laughs> when I remember, these guys were out front and they were cutting edge. Uh, but two songs from Pearl Jam uh, offered their debut album, Ten, uh, and a credit to you know. The fact that these guys were artists coming right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and to Eddie Vedder, uh, tribute to his songwriting ability when he was barely you know, in his early 20s. Um, but they nailed two songs off their debut album that were in reference to true stories. Um, the first one being Alive, mm-hmm. of course. That was, that was Eddie talking about his life growing up and discovering that the guy who he thought was his father wasn't actually his biological father, And at the time of finding this information out, he also found out that his biological father was dead. Right. So there was no chance of making a connection, Mm -hmm. you know. And it kind of led to Alive, at least coming out of the gate, being one of the most misunderstood songs um, of all time. It has since evolved into having a different meaning, and Pearl Jam has embraced that meaning, you know, the meaning that people have have, uh, ascribed to the song of being, you know, of resilience, and I'm still here. That's not originally what Eddie meant by the chorus, "I'm still alive." Right. But, uh, but a moving story, nonetheless. I mean, if you can put yourself in his position, and not just experiencing it, but turning around and writing about it, um, that's some pretty heavy shit. Sure. Sure. And on the same album, uh, the song "Jeremy," mm-hmm. which was based on a story he read in the newspaper of a kid, I believe in Dallas blowing his own head off in front of in front of class. Right.
3: Pulled the old Bud Dwyer on everybody. Yeah, exactly.
1: And uh, and to their credit and and in a lot of ways signaled the shift in music at the time of, you know, the early grunge stuff of what right. they were writing about, the song content and whatnot. It was a big difference between what was going on in the late eighties and whatnot. But, you know, he managed to I don't know for lack of a better word maybe identify mm-hmm. you know if not with the kid himself but you know more along the lines of the narrator in the story being somebody in that classroom right. who knew this kid.
3: And if you think about it that was what 93 94
1: 92 92. Yeah, he wrote the song the wrote the song in 91. Um, the album blew up. They released the album if I remember correctly in late 91, but it didn't blow up until early right.
3: 92. Now to use an old-timey term, I mean the foresight it took to put that to vinyl, and then to see prophetic,
1: yeah, you know? yeah, kind of a kind of a premonition of things yeah. to come.
3: And you know, even though I'm not, you know, the world's biggest Pearl Jam fan, you know, out of the grunge pantheon, I was yeah. always more of an S.T.P. guy. Yeah, but I will definitely give uh, a nod and a tip of the hat to Pearl Jam for their storytelling. And another one that comes to mind clearly is, is Better Man. Yeah. Because the yeah, way they based they paint on, yeah. that it's it's almost like um, like a one scene play the yeah. way they, they write these songs yeah uh, in the in the in the the realm of a Death of the Salesman or you know uh, the Crucible mm-hmm. one stage one scene the actors Twelve Angry Men and they take you right through it and you're left thinking to yourself wow what, what what did I just in this case, listen to versus yeah. watch. Yeah. But it was like, wow, that was just masterpiece oh, yeah. theater right there. Yeah. yeah. It's,
1: it's pretty remarkable considering, you know, Eddie was all of 22 years old, 23 years old, mm-hmm. you know, that he could encapsulate such things, you know, into a song lyric. Right. You know, I mean, that, you know, you have three minutes, sure. you know, four tops to make your point. And without being like overly doubt, because he had that kind of floaty, falsetto
3: y tenor voice to make everything sound melodic, yeah. but he's talking about, you know, kids killing themselves. Yeah. He's talking about the lament of never knowing his father and then not knowing who his actual father is. Or, you know, domestic abuse. Yeah. These are topics that being were not a, broached by hair metal in the late yeah,
1: 80s. Yeah, being in a loveless marriage. Yes! and And... Realizing that you're settling for, yes, or
3: to redo the old uh, '50s tune, the one with the car wreck, yeah, right. I mean, even that, even that, he made sound like a a radio hit, which it did turn into, you know. Yeah, it's pretty
1: heavy shit to be taken on, you know, by a person.
3: All right, uh, my next one. See. Oh. But I said no particular order. So this is true. This I'm is gonna true. I'm going to throw out uh, Tom Petty. Okay, into the great wide open. All right. Now I, right. I definitely just love me some Petty because he tells lots of different stories. Oh, Tom, you was, know?
1: Tom was the epitome of a storyteller. And talk. I
3: think would push this one over the top was the heavy airplay that the music video guy yes. <laughs> showing yes. Johnny Depp and Susan Sarandon, yep. all different kinds yep. of you know cameos in there. But it's really, and this is from someone who never had experienced the L.A. music scene lifestyle. You could probably relate more than I could. But this seemed to tell the typical tale um, from beginning to middle to end, along the same way as um, Superstar by... uh, It wasn't Bad Company. It was a Bad Company.
1: Are you talking... Oh, yeah, yeah. No, 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 it it was was Bad Company. uh, It was Bad Company, yeah. yeah. Johnny yeah, Lennon. Right, yeah, right. Yeah.
3: <laughs> but it's that, that same kind of thing. And it's also similar to the Foreigner song, uh, Jukebox Hero. You know, yeah, it yeah. tells the same story, but in some way, Tom Petty did it better with this because it's, it's that sardonic humor that yeah. he had and he would inject in his lyrics a lot of times. Oh, yeah. Where it was just modernized and it was fresh and it was fun. Yep. So even though you know the guy kind of winds up at square one again at the end of the song yeah. it's been a hell of a ride
1: well that was that was definitely one of those songs where the video really blew up what the song was about mm-hmm. you know just taking the yeah. song on its own you know it didn't it didn't really wouldn't necessarily carry as much weight but when you attach the video to it yep. it's kind of like an aha moment where you yep. go oh yes yep. and then you can relate to it you know that was back when you know videos were considered art you know, yes. to some extent, I remember the day, it
3: debuted. It was like, well, it's a long one, but it's it's you know, Tom yeah, the top latest release. And yeah. again, as soon as you saw those those major stars at the time, yeah, you're like, oh, this is going to be good.
1: Yeah, we're but, tell, we're telling <laughs> a story here, folks, and we've got participants. We've got like, you know, category A actors to help us help totally. us along with this to get the point across. Yeah, and uh, and yeah, it it made all the difference really seeing the video. You definitely, like I said, had this kind of aha moment like okay, right. yeah. And if you were at all, you know, in and around that industry, mm-hmm. it made perfect sense. Sure. You know, sure. You, you could even say you might have known people. Right. Like, you know, the guy you sure. Know, sure. Eddie yeah. was it, I think, in the song. <laughs> yep. Yeah. 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 He
3: met a girl out there with a tattoo too. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Man, that's, that's like vintage early 90s yeah. stuff. We'll
3: listen to that and drink
1: more later. I think so. Over think your so. third
3: one, sir, what do you got?
1: Well, I, I really got to say, when you initially brought up this idea, um, and I absolutely loved it, um, that this song hit me right, right square between the eyes as the epitome of what we're talking about. And, uh, and no one could have done this better, uh, with all due respect to Gordon Lightfoot, mm-hmm. but the master, Bob Dylan, yeah. Uh and the story of Hurricane. Okay. Yep. The story of Reuben Hurricane Carter. Yep. Um if you're familiar with the story, um uh, maybe you've seen the movie with Denzel. It's a pretty moving, pretty pretty moving movie. Sure. But uh but you know, as far as just a master of storytelling, telling a story, right? This nails it. It's and with pop music Dylan. too.
3: So his, oh, yeah. his lyrics they, they go along at for a Dylan tune, quite a, a steady pace. Yeah. You know? Yep. And I and think this
1: might have been the last time a white guy used the word nigger and didn't catch any shit right. for it. Didn't catch any yeah. shit for it. I'll show you how much juice Dylan Because the has. message is bigger than the word. Yeah, exactly. You know? You'd exactly. like to think at least. Yeah.
3: But it's it's almost like the tempo of, of the song and the instruments used match the frenetic pace of a Very boxing much match.
1: So. Very much so.
3: And it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's a masterwork. It's Bob Dylan. Yeah yeah and nope, <laughs> That's nobody, what I was yeah, no nobody say about that
1: no, Bob's in a in a class by himself, sure,
3: yeah all right. well, my last one um the the artist was a no brainer uh, you know me I'm going to go with billy joel okay the 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 sound and rhythm and feeling of New York in the seventies
1: another great storyteller
3: and i tell you what the argument could be made for piano man as maybe the archetype of all storytelling oh, God, yeah. songs
1: well, and that was about himself yes. that was that was Autobiographical. Something he, yeah, right, yeah.
3: But I'm going to go for, you know, for the one that takes you on, on the story and the journey, I'm going to go with Scenes from an Italian Restaurant. I like it. With Brenda and Eddie. Oh, I like it. Because it's some place we've all been, yep. you know? you Absolutely. got your friends. You're going to the same bar every night. You're living the life, you know? If you
1: can't identify with that song... You need to get out know, of your town. Come out of the cave, folks. <laughs> right. Come out of the cave. Because yeah, that that had that everyman quality. Totally, you know, very much parallel to what we we're just talking about with Tom Petty. Yep, you know, where these were guys that could get into the, the everyman head. They get their apartment with deep pile carpet
3: and a couple of paintings from Sears. And then there you know, you as time goes on, it gets a little stale. But they realize, and we've again, we've all been there. Yep, you can't go back. No, because those experiences of of your 90s and our 90s of your <laughs> that, that was us <laughs> of your early 20s and your yep. friends and, and growing oh, yeah. up, you can't go back to
1: that. It's not possible, right? And you know, you don't realize. It's kind of like that Joni Mitchell tune. You know, you don't realize what you got till it's gone. Yep. You know, and and yeah, Billy was a master at that. Yeah, you know, just, you I think, mean, a
3: lot of his stuff. You know, New York oh, yeah. State of Mind. I mean, the yep. way he can evoke uh, imagery and and feelings. Oh yeah, I mean, he could write a song about eating a bagel in the morning, and I'm like, Oh my god, I've been there. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> the epic experience. Right. Oh yeah. yeah, sure, it's sure. ridiculous, but it's true. Yep. Um, so, yeah, so that was my, my, my no-brainer. Good good call, bro. And I'll tell you good what, call. I would throw in, even though we're a classic rock station, or so yes. they tell me by the press clippings. Is that what it is? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I have to go, and I know you agree with me on this, an honorable mention for Frank Sinatra. Absolutely. Because a lot of his, uh, let's say, Torch songs, as they're known, oh. really take you to a time and place that not only can we all relate to, mm-hmm. but in a historical sense, as old-timey as they are, it'll take you back.
2: In,
1: oh in yeah. Time. Oh, oh, Frank was an early, early master of this yeah. particular genre, and it's
3: just the I mean, yes, the lyrics and people would write his songs, and it all came down to the you know band being able to execute it. Yep. But his uh, his song "A Very Good Year" yep is a song that I first heard when I was sixteen, and as I think we mentioned on another episode of the podcast, that I've I've grown old with now, and I cherish it even more just like the damn lyrics said, you know? Because now all these years of my life are like a vintage wine from a fine old king. Oh, absolutely. And it's slated more towards men, but I'm sure women can appreciate it too.
1: Well, if you can't get with One for the Road...
3: Oh yeah, one for my baby. Oh, she's so know, good. Yeah,
1: I mean, that's that's an everyman experience right. if there ever was one. And it
3: puts you in that sublevel hotel bar in yep. New York City as he's sitting there talking to the bartender. Mm-hmm. Again, if if it doesn't take you there or affect you, you're a lizard. You have ice water in your veins. <laughs> and I don't want to know you. <laughs> But yeah, so yeah. Frank gets the the dual mentioned honorable yeah the respect nod, nod. yeah yes. absolutely
1: absolutely.
3: So now that being said, ooh, I, I feel so emotionally refreshed. I that know, way we did that. yeah, right. that felt kind of we good. We've been a top three in four ever. I gave you the uh, ignominious honor of um, ignominious,
1: and yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was it was a tough call too. Tough as call. ignominious as it was, right? To do that yes.
3: final jam, and I believe you touched on. One of the songs you mentioned. Which, yeah. which one do you
1: go with? Um, I'm thinking we're leaning towards Jeremy. Nice. Just because the just people need to be. I know it's one of the most popular Pearl mm-hmm. Jam songs of all time. It's one of. It's because
3: it's damn good.
1: Oh yeah, one of their most downloaded <laughs> songs and whatnot. Yep. But yeah, just so just so people can wrap themselves around the emotion that we're talking about with some of these songs. Sure. I think Jeremy is a good representation of that. So let's go Aces. with that from uh, from the Pearl Jam album Ten. This is Jeremy.
3: All right, we're going to spin this one for you folks, and we'll be back in a couple minutes with some more things, stuff, and endings. <laughs>
0: A harmless little fuck.
2: Ooh, but we unleashed
0: the lion, gnashed his teeth, and bit the recessed lady's breast. How could I forget?
1: still gives me shivers. Haunting,
2: yeah.
3: Yeah. Like I said, especially because it mirrors society, and they saw it coming. I
1: know, know. it's crazy, isn't it? It's absolutely crazy. It's, you know, is art imitating life or life imitating art? That's one of the questions that you ask yourself. And, of course, this was off of, you know, Pearl Jam's just monumental Monster. Debut album, 10. Yeah. You know, Eddie Vedder was quoted when they first started touring the album, and they were touring in, like, clubs and small arenas, uh-huh. that they hoped the album would sell 40 million co- or 40,000 copies. Oof. He was off by about 20 million. Right. You know? And, uh, you know, another, uh, the Rolling Stone writer, I forget which one... Uh, surmise that if this was the only album that Pearl Jam ever released, it would cement their place in rock history. Right. And it's true, you know, and I, and I guess we're fortunate that the, you know, they've, they've gone on to produce, you know, another, I don't know, seven, eight, nine studio albums Mm. and, and, you know, a a ton of touring and, and, you know, uh, bootleg, you know, band release bootleg stuff that was all great, but, uh, but talk about a way yeah. to start to you know, and again, break accompanied the by
3: a, a fantastic video. Yeah, haunting. slow oh, the video slow-mo, was, black and white. Yeah. I believe it was shot in. Yeah, I'm talking to you, MTV. <laughs> where are the fucking videos? No, really, really. I mean, it's just
1: yeah. This was another uh, instance where the video just iced the song's place yeah. in music history. And a fun
3: thing about videos, and I, I just noticed from my years spent, you know, DJing. That you still, there's still videos made for the majority of songs that come out, yeah. but nobody ever sees them. Yeah. But you get sent these things by the record companies, and some of them are really, really well done, especially, yeah. believe it or not, the dance videos and a lot of like the EDM tracks right. have these really elaborate videos shot,
1: but nobody,
3: nobody sees, sees it because yeah. it doesn't get played anywhere.
1: Yeah, the time has come and gone. Yeah, uh, it's such a
3: waste. I know, I know. And if what you've watched you MTV's programming,
1: Talk about a waste. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, moving right along. Yes, sir. What's new in Big Boom Radio this week, John?
3: Well, I tell you what, in in short, you know, still recording a lot of stuff. A whole new slate of shows for another week just came out. Nice. Um, I went back and revisited again, uh, Classic Rock Showcase, to make sure we're up to date with everybody. And I found, you won't believe the one I found that we were missing that had disappeared. Okay. The Doors. No. I'm like, wait a second, I don't recall playing them in forever. And sure enough, I looked, three different hard drives. I'm like, where the hell's the episode with the doors? Oh. I don't know what's happened. With wow. <laughs> it's just like, like gremlins or something. Yikes. So I redid them there and there. I think they're actually playing this week. But, All right. And then I went ahead and uh, on an artistic lark. I decided to do, and I did this back-to-back, one right right. after the other, Yeah, an episode of the Classic Rock Showcase on the Go-Go's, which I know you're a big fan of. I'm a big fan, absolutely. And then uh, just to nurture my 80s side and my schoolboy dreams, the Bengals.
1: Oh, nice. And I
3: tell you what, my takeaway from each one was when I did the Go-Go's, I saw in Stark Relief, Everything you were saying about their roots in the punk rock scene from California. Right, right. Yep. And when I did the Bengals, I was surprised how many ancillary, like maybe top forty, but not breaking the twenty yeah. hits that they had in the eighties. Yeah. Because we all know, yeah, you know, walk like an Egyptian. Sure. Um, and even like the turn Oh, they had, a, they had a
1: great, great cover of that Princeton Manic Monday. Yes. It's always been right? always been a, a, a guilty pleasure. Yeah, and yeah.
3: There, were, there were so many more like in your room and, and bell jar um, and walking down your street. I was just like, wow, I can't believe I could fill up this hour this fast. You right, know? Right. And really the same thing for the Go-Go's, but the difference was when I did the one for the Go-Go's, it was more about Discovering music I had never heard before. Okay. And then trying to make the decision as a novice listener, is this the best work? Which ones go in, which ones don't? So you and the public at large can listen and decide for yourselves (laughs) if I'm an out-of-touch hack or (laughs) if I have my finger on the pulse of what makes good music or not. There we go. A debate for another day. Indeed. So on that note, my friend, I think that's about it for this episode And as always, I'm Johnny Teflon. And I'm Michael Sean Lee. And we'll see you all on the flip side.